Welcome to the Cello Sherpa Podcast, where we explore all aspects of the climb to the summit from intermediate musician to the professional stage. Check us out online at thecellosherpa.com or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at thecellosherpa. I'm Joel Dallow, your host. I joined the cello section of the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra in 1999 and founded the Riverside Chamber Players based in Roswell, Georgia in 2003. Today's episode is sponsored by Clear Resources, your premier resource for compliance, legal, ethics, and risk. For more information, visit them online at clearresources.com. On April 13th, the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra performed a special concert with Yo-Yo Ma, who performed the Dvorak Cello Concerto with us. After that morning's dress rehearsal, I had the honor and the privilege of sitting down for a conversation with him. I hope you enjoy. Yo-Yo Ma is a globally famous cellist, songwriter, and musical ambassador who has recorded more than 75 albums and received nearly 20 Grammy Awards. I'm willing to bet that probably everyone who listens to this podcast knows exactly who you are. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Cello Sherpa podcast. Well, thank you so much, Joel. I'm so glad that you have this mission of trying to extricate little moments of that might be useful for others, as you explained to me, in their journey with music, life, cello, whatever that, that they're engaged in. Well, what a pleasure to have a person that I would consider the ultimate cello Sherpa on this podcast. So I'd like to ask you, what is the thing that you believe is the most important message to communicate to young musicians and cellists? Probably the act of caring. Hmm. When you care, you have to know enough about yourself and enough about somebody else to want to engage in their life. And that requires both your analytical skills, it requires your empathetic skills, and it requires your communicative skills. And I think caring, in some ways, you know, our largest organ is our skin. And touch is something, probably one of the most human acts. And the sounds that we make activate air molecules that actually not only reach their eardrums and get interpreted, but actually reach their skin. It's visceral. So I think it's caring has all those aspects involved in it. And that's what we're trying to do with music. And would you say that's something that you have come to over your career, or is this something that's innate in you as a human being? Well, I think what's innate in us in human beings is that we do have that care. You know, as you get older, you think about sometimes as citizens, we think about the duty of care, right? Mm -hmm. And real responsibility, the duty of what does it mean to care or as a parent. And as you're growing up, if you have a pet, you have the duty of caring for what that pet means. But I think as a lifetime spent playing an instrument is about trying to make the instrument an extension of your body. The strings of the cello become an extension of your vocal cords, Uh right? The bow becomes an extension of your lungs, right? The sound box of the cello, it's like your vibrating lungs and that your musculature 
gets transferred onto the motion of the bow to pull out the sound, to tease out the sound, to caress the sound in order for your vocal cords, as in the strings, start to vibrate in such a way that it becomes expressive and not just identified, oh, it's this sound and that sound, but it's how do you humanize the sound? Uh-huh. And so I think that takes constant, <laughs> a different kind of care to tease that out. Yeah. Having had this incredible global career that you've had, what do you feel is the most important aspect of music in our world today? Well, I think back to the idea that music is something that travels lightly, meaning if you hear something on the street, in a hospital room, in a forest, out at the ocean, you like it, you internalize it, it's yours. Uh You're actually able to turn what was something else into you. I think that's what culture can do. So whether it's nature or human expression or mechanical expression, whatever it is you can, if you say, I like it, I want it to be part of me, it's yours. In that sense, it reminds us of the non-transactional nature of so much that we have in life that is, in fact, not transactional. In a society that has put sort of transactional value on everything, but it reminds us that that's only part of it. Uh That's part of the story. The rest of the story is about the other stuff. Yeah. Can you talk about a little bit of the inflection points in your career? So, for example, the first time I saw you perform, I was 14. I was attending Tanglewood, and you were playing a few concertos with the orchestra there, and and you gave some master classes. And so I've had a lot of exposure to you over the years, which has been wonderful. I'm curious how you went from being the cellist that played all the big concertos with all the major orchestras in the country to this global figure that everybody knows who Yo-Yo Ma is. Everybody knows what the cello is now. Really, I think because of you, was that a concerted effort or is that something that happened more organically? And if so, what would you attribute that to? Well, I'll tell you, since you mentioned Tanglewood, the first time I went to Tanglewood was when my son was three months old. Uh And this was back in 1983. So I was probably 28 years old. And Seiji was always the conductor of the Boston Symphony Orchestra. I just played something with them for the first time. And he said, Yo-Yo, I think you should come to Tanglewood. And I think you should come and teach and do something at the Tanglewood Music Center. So the inflection point happened because up to that point, in so many places, I was always the youngest kid on the block. I was always playing with older musicians, more experienced people, and there were adults telling me what to do, and you should, you know, and so, and suddenly, Seiji's saying, wait, I want you to teach or coach people. So what was interesting to me was that I realized suddenly 
there was another generation of people that's younger, and now there are like many generations of people that are younger than I am. But that started the idea of thinking what younger people are thinking about, because then we may be living on the same planetary surface, but the way they think is different from me. Yeah. So I was aware of generational separation and that the only way that I could actually get to know them is to truly interact with them and find out what they think. Right. Right. And so that inflection point has affected me the rest of my life, including, for example, having children and now grandchildren. So, but at the musical professional level, it's like being aware of younger people and bothering to find out how they think, what they care about. Uh And of course, the most exciting thing is that as a 28-year-old, I was on the verge of doing things for the second, third, fourth, fifth time. But for them, when they're discovering that piece of music for the first time, or that idea that has come across their mind, to see their faces light up and their eyes light up and and they got it, they got something, they work really hard on something and they made it happen. It's like the most exciting thing in the world. Wow. You know, I think that's why teachers love to teach because they see this over and over again and they have this ability to light up people's minds and hearts and set their hearts on fire to something that is in fact really exciting that someone else did for them before. Yeah. And that kind of passing on is just one of the most exciting, beautiful, and human things we can do. Yeah. And I'm so glad you brought that up because it reminds me of many of the guests that I've talked to here Mm -hmm. that have talked about their first experience of hearing the cello was Yo-Yo Ma on Sesame Street. And then I thought, is this what led to global stardom, Sesame Street, with all of these young people getting this message from you and everybody knowing who you are? Is, is that the secret, Sesame Street? Well, let me tell you something, that I think that when sometimes I'm asked, what are you really proud of having done? I'm not particularly proud of having done anything because I just do stuff. And the answer I always give is that, I am really proud of having been in children's shows, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Sesame Street, Arthur. Why? Because when I was appearing on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and Sesame Street, I'm a guest in their show. Uh And I'm in their world, in their territory. If they accept me as part of their world, That's a forever thing. Because when you're young, I don't know about you, but I'm so old that I forget everything. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but I do know that when I was younger, I remembered everything. Yeah, that's true. Right. So my advice to young people is say, if you want to learn anything, memorize as much as you can before you're 20 years old. (laughs) Because after that, it just gets harder and harder. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so I'm proudest of having been and and to have been accepted in these children's worlds because I see them now as 
30, 40 year olds saying, I remember that. And that's proof that, you know, that memory is permanent. But embedded with those memories are the sense of values that Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was trying to demonstrate or act. And so that that also is something that follows an interest in woodworking or painting or cello playing or whatever that the hosts of these shows are trying to put in terms of content for the children. Yeah. Well, that's terrific. Every person that I talk to has been influenced by you on the cello in some way. So many of my colleagues and generations of people. So it's so great to have this opportunity to speak with you. And I know we're running short on time. So I was wondering if you would like to share any particular parting words that might be helpful beyond what you've already offered. Well, I don't know, Joel. I think it's so great that you're doing this. Well, thank you. I think, I mean, that is obviously is a labor of love. Mm -hmm. And I think when you do labors of love, you know that that has great meaning. Because one of the things that we desperately need everywhere, and I think people are hungry for, is just people who are authentic, who are just believable. And there's no reason when you are doing a labor of love that you're doing it except for the fact that you love doing it, right? Mm -hmm. This is not a transaction. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> right? And our talk right now is not a transaction. We're doing it because we're fellow cellists, we like the stuff, and we want to pass on that love to anybody who might be interested. Yeah. And that's all we can do. Yeah. That's, that's all we can do as humans is that we pass on something that we think is valuable. Yeah. And certainly as we get older in this profession or in whatever it is that we do, we see the value of that more. Absolutely. Because we have the perspective that we need. I can tell you one thing that happened today. We had a rehearsal with the Dvorak Cello Concerto, which I have not played with an orchestra for a number of years because of the pandemic. Uh -huh. But the visceral emotions that I experienced having this fantastic group of musicians and artists playing a piece that we obviously know and love and hearing it almost it's as if for the first time the plethora of emotions that i felt listen i was so moved i was so moved and i was speaking with some of our colleagues afterwards and and i think that's something that not only we want to recapture all the time because it is special for a group of people to be able to commune together and be of one very rich, large mind and say something together that we really believe in uh -huh. and that we want to share it with an audience. I think it made me realize, oh, that's why we have orchestras. Wow, that's why we do music because it has that kind of, it gives us something that is so enormous and rich. And I felt it. I felt it like a, like a furnace blast of, you know, just embrace of this kind of massive emotion so thank you for that thank you for this morning thank you and thank you for this talk and thank you so much for joining us today on the cello sherpa podcast yes keep sherp sherping <laughs> i don't know if that's a word I, 
Sure. You can turn it into a verb. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much to Yo-Yo Ma for joining us today. And thank you for listening to another episode of the Cello Sherpa podcast. For more information on Yo-Yo, check out the show notes by scrolling down on the episode. Be sure and catch our next episode, where we welcome back Janet Horvath, Associate Principal Cellist of the Minnesota Orchestra from 1980 to 2012, and author of the book Playing Less Hurt. We talk a little bit more about injury prevention, specifically my favorite topic, hearing protection, and we introduce her new book, The Cello Still Sings. We're here to serve you. So if you have questions or topic suggestions you would like to cover in future episodes, please use the contact page on our website, thecellosherpa.com, or tweet them at us, at thecellosherpa. You will also find information about the specific services we offer on the website. Don't forget to follow us and rate us on whatever platform you get your podcasts. This helps us climb the rankings so other people can find us. Today's episode was produced, edited, and recorded by me, Joel Dallow.